Screenless. Welcome to another episode of Creative Cuppa, the show where I chat with people working in the many amazing creative industries. I'm Gareth Davis, and I'm a mince pie addict. I mean, a composer for TV and creator of things. How are you? Get anything nice? If you celebrate Christmas, of course, we're in the interesting point, aren't we, between Christmas and New Year, where it's possible to have a full roast, two desserts and an afternoon of quality street. And still by six o'clock, there are murmurings about ham and mustard sandwiches and, uh, oh, there are those mince pies as well. Why don't you bring those through just in case? Have you been creative over the festive period? I find it's difficult to turn my brain off at the best of times. Not in a bad way. It's a bit like a tap over a sink. You can pull the plug out and empty the sink. But when you put the plug back in, the sink just fills back up. The curse of the creative brain, I say. Anyway, I know these are uncertain times, but I hope you've had a lovely time and you are having a lovely time now and you will have a lovely new year. Let me know if you're starting anything new. Ooh, new year resolutions. I asked you on the socials what your creative new year resolutions are. Some of you answered. Here we go. My nephew Jack, fabulous lad, he wants to write more short stories and practice filmmaking techniques. It seems Jack is your man if you need a writer-director. Well done, Jack, and good luck. Rod, put out four seasonal EPs, one for each season. Call me Viv from Aldi. And see what you did there, Rod? Yeah? Uh, Great idea, though. Great idea. Uh, Mark, slap more bass, baby. Mark, (laughs) I do hope you get to slap more bass in 2022. The bass, as you all know, is the finest and most satisfying instrument to play in a band setup. Yes, I know that's controversial. Yes, feel free to let me know what you think on the socials using the at ScreenlessPod handle. Now, Ian McMillan is an English poet, journalist, playwright and broadcaster. He's known for his strong and distinctive Yorkshire accent and his incisive, friendly interview style on programmes such as BBC Radio 3's The Verb. I first met Ian McMillan in 2019 in his local cafe to discuss a collaboration. I was putting together poetry with music and wondered if Ian would like to record one of his infamous early strolls. Ian said yes to my delight and we got it done. As this is an extended episode, I'd like to play it for you now to convey just how amazing Ian is with words. If you follow him on Twitter, you'll be used to being treated daily to a masterclass in writing. Have a listen to this and then have a listen to Ian and I having a chat and a creative cuppa. Outside, birdsong holds a tuning fork to morning. A tree's shadow scribbles on a white cat. The moon fulfills its contract to shine. Badly closed curtains hang like an awkward haircut. A tiny dog waits in a bus shelter. The train passes the empty swings of a forgotten childhood. Tiny lambs, like dropped handkerchiefs on a distant field. Time floats down slowly to the surface of Thursday.
Ian McMillan, radio presenter, writer, man about town, the beat generation Les Dawson, and to me, most of all, poet. Welcome to Creative Cuppa. Yeah, and I've got my cuppa with me. Look, I've got my cup of tea. Beautiful little Assam, of course, with no milk, because there's no point putting milk in your tea. I like milk. If I like milk, I'll have a glass of milk. If you put milk in your tea, it turns it into a kind of, I don't know, artex or gloss. And also, as you know, as somebody who speaks a lot, that milk in a tea can clog up your clack. So I think anything dairy is no good. But black tea, oh, it's beautiful. Does your teeth no good? You end up with black teeth, but it's great. Other Assams are available, but I do like Lidl Assam. It's like the red wine of hot drinks. It is. Do you know, it is very punchy. <laughs> and do you know, people still look at you daft when you go, I'll have a cup of tea, no milk. And the other thing that I like is espressos. And you go, I'll have an espresso. And they go, there's not much in that, is there? Has the machine broke? You know, <laughs> I don't know. I think as a poet, I think you should drink black tea or espresso. That's my view. Stay away from the dairy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I thought I would uh, begin with a poem, if I may. Uh, this is called A Thought. If I were John and John were me, then he'd be six and I'd be three. If John were me and I were John, I shouldn't have these trousers on. There we go. Gosh, that's lovely. That, that, I'll tell you what works about that is the rhythm and the rhyme and the way that it's, it must be a name for this kind of poem where it's kind of circular or yeah. each line refers to the next line. And so it starts and you expect it to go somewhere and it goes somewhere else. And you could imagine it being printed in a circular way. It's really nice. That. Yeah, actually, yes. Very uh, visual. Um, mm. I'd love to take credit for it, but it was by a, a, some bloke called A.A. A. Milne. That's right, um, Milne. You, that's what I like about it. Milne has got that talent, doesn't he? And I always think that that kind of A.A. Milne poem is hard to do. And I thought, I didn't know that one, but I thought you'd had a go at it. And I was going to say it was very good. I, I can't do that. I've tried that kind of thing. Yeah. And the first line works really well, perhaps the second line, but then you think, oh, no, the scaffolding. The scaffolding's <laughs> falling down. Oh, dear. <laughs> that was actually posted by a previous Creative Cup of Guest, Tala Gavaya, during the lockdown. There was a poem every day for 30 days, I think, ah, uh, right. keeping everyone's spirits up. Um, but I wanted a, an introduction that includes your own description rather than how you're perceived by others. Do you feel like a writer and a poet at your core? Do you find yourself embracing other things more and more? Oh, that rhymes as well. <laughs> I think, yes, at my core, I am a writer, I think. If I don't write every day, I feel bereft. Like in the same way that if I don't go for my early stroll, I feel like a skeleton. And if I don't have my cup of tea, I feel like a husk. And if I don't write every day, and sometimes it's quite late on, you know, and you think, I better get some writing done. And it can be, you know, writing from the heart, as it were. So writing something that you want to write for yourself, or it can be that somebody's asked me to write something. So it's that. But if I don't write every day, then I feel, I don't feel complete. And so, yes, I would describe myself at heart as a writer. I'm also a kind of at heart, a performer. And I do like that being a performer. I'm doing fewer and fewer gigs these days, partly because of lockdown and partly through choice, I think, because I want to spend more time writing. So there's, I don't know, there's, there's but yes, at my heart, at my heart, I'm a writer and I, I write every day. Even if it's not very good, I think you should write every day because then it keeps the creative little flowing, as it were, the creative Assam flowing, I mean, not the creative. Yeah. 
Creative ass Sam, <laughs> blowing. If you don't like, if people say, but the stuff I've written is rubbish. You go, well, actually, most of mine is, but you at least have had a go at sitting down and writing it. And it's the only yeah. way to get better, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, funnily enough, I was, uh, when I was researching for today, I came across one of your performances on YouTube and you were telling an audience about your uncles, Charlie and Jack. Charlie and Jack, yeah. Oh, and I mentioned this because the stories you tell about them seem to encapsulate how you create. The world seems to give you material and you organize it in a way that people find funny or interesting. Is that how you, is that your process? It is. The, the world, you're right, the world just hands me things on a world-shaped plate all the time. Yeah, just, I, I say this to people, just step out the door, or if you can't get out the door, just stay in the house, look out the window, and you just see things. Things happen. Things happen to you. That's why I go on the early stroll. That's why when I'm on the train, I look yeah. out the window when I'm on the bus. And if, and if you are available, you've got to be available for it. You've got to be listening. You've got to be looking. And then things just pop in. Things just occur. Uh, like yesterday on the train, I, w- I was in Salford yesterday doing recording the Verb, my Radio 3 show. And then I, I came back and I got the train from Sheffield to Barnsley. And a, a gang of women got on who'd had a good lunch. And, and they all had the masks on. And they started singing. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. And they couldn't sing for tough. But <laughs> they didn't care. And nobody on the train cared. And it, you know, yesterday wasn't a great day, was it? I mean, weather-wise, it was horrible. And, you know, things are happening in the pandemic. But suddenly, on this train, these women lit up the train. So, you know, there's, there's the germ of the point. And the fact that I really like the fact that they kept the masks on and they sang through the masks. And occasionally they kept shouting, go on, you buggers, join in. And, you know, the British Reserve meant that nobody did. But they didn't care. And I, and I thought, gosh, that's a joyous thing. So... And that was handed to me on a plate, you know. So I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll write about that sometime. Or I might just turn it into a story, you know. So, because that train, that particular train, is the one that goes to Huddersfield. And so the, the kind of sanctioned equivalent of that singing is that every now and then they have a jazz train, or they used to, a jazz train, a folk train, an opera train, which means that uh, unsuspecting commuters get a bit of La Traviata <laughs> thrown at them. And, and, I, and they did a poetry train once. And... I said, I got. I was meant to be reading poems on this poetry train, and they went. Sadly, the man with the microphone doesn't get on till Denby Dale, which was four stations down the line. So people are mumbling these poems. You couldn't hear them. Can't hear you. They shouted. The bloke got on at Denby Dale. Sounds like all my stories contain drunk people. He was drunk. He's drunk. The bloke with the mic's drunk, and he'd forgotten to bring the bit the mic plugged into. So they had like just a stick. So it was like a placebo mic. And these people were still mumbling. You still couldn't hear them. Oh, gosh. So, so the women singing on the train reminded me of that. So, yeah, you're right. Every day, things just flow into my view. And it can happen to everybody. It's not just me. Everybody. Yeah. And all you have to do is say, all right, I'll have that. I'll take that quotidian event. You know, I'll take that bit of the everyday. It's all they have to do. It's a bit like being a photographer, isn't it? Photographers have the same thing about seeing a scene and seeing a potential photo, but for language. That's that's a very good analogy because that's exactly what happens. My friends who are photographers will be walking along the same street as me and they'll suddenly click and they'll go, gosh, look at that. And I'll go, I never saw it. Yeah. What, What did you see? And they'll point something out and I'll think, well, there's not much there, but then when they either show you the photo on their phone or they develop it and you see it, 
you think, blimey, why couldn't I see that? So I suppose, yeah, you're right. What I'll do is the equivalent to that. I do take a lot of photos when I'm out and about strolling, just maybe to remind myself and sometimes just to illustrate things. For a while, I did a leaf of the day in the <laughs> autumn. I used to, because of big trees on our street and all these big leaves, I used to do a leaf of the day. And then a couple of years ago, there was a fellow up the street having some building work done. It was really warm in the summer, summer 2019 it was. And there was a glass of water on his wall. So I'd, I put glass of water on the wall. And then the next day, it's still there, glass of water still on them. A week later, it's still there, glass of water still on the wall. And people on Twitter are going, is a glass of water there? But yes, it's there. And it became some kind of symbol of hope, this glass of water. And nobody ever touched it. It was there. And then after about three weeks, actually, it just went. So it's just tiny things like that that then can become, I don't know, symbols or metaphors or similes or something. Just, I always say, just keep your eyes up. Did you and ever you find out? Never. And I didn't want to, that's the other thing. I never want to know. I never yeah. want to know because I think, I don't know what it was. They'd just forgotten about the glass of water and it was there. And it just <laughs> became a symbol of passing time. And gradually, you know, I think a leaf fell in it and maybe there was a bit of bird poo in it. And it just, it was like a calendar, actually. It was like a, it was like a, a an image of passing time, this glass of water. And when it went, I was sad, but not as sad as I thought I'd be. Because I thought, oh, well, it's gone. You know, yeah. I told Twitter and they went, oh, that the glass of water's gone. And some people don't believe you as well. They go, you made that up about the glass of water. <laughs> well, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, if you think I've made it up, what can I say? I didn't, but you won't oh, believe. No. <laughs> so going back, you wanted to be a writer all through your school days, didn't you? Mm -hmm. uh, which is quite lucky, really, in the respect that you knew exactly what you wanted to do. As I often say, I mean, I'm a writer because of my school, because of me. West Riding County Primary School, the West Riding of Yorkshire in the 60s, an education authority that would be these days called Progressive Left-Wing Child-Centred Teaching, which it was. And it was run by a, a genius called Sir Alec Clegg, who said that all children are creative. So in our school, we sang, we danced, we made art, we made poems. And it just felt like as natural as breathing. And I always wanted to do that. And so it was the West Riding Library made me realise that people wrote books. It was the West Riding County Primary School that, that made me think, well, I can do this. But I, I did have a very specific image of me as a writer. And I'd be sat in a room a bit like this. This is my spare bedroom. I'd be sat in this room and there'd be a big wooden desk and there'd be a typewriter. And I would be sitting there in a corduroy suit <laughs> and, I'd be, and I'd be tapping away on, this, uh, on my novel. I'd be writing on this, this novel. Now, one of my writing heroes when I was a young man was Patrick Campbell, who wrote this amazing column in the Sunday Times every week. Just 800 words of what he did. And he wrote this fantastic column called A Pair of Writing Trousers. And he said he always bought corduroy trousers because half his time when he was writing was, he's, he's trying to think what to put and he's rubbing his trousers. So, he's, so he needed some very stiff corduroy trousers otherwise. And I thought, yeah, that's me. And those, those were some of my heroes in the early days. of the columnists. I write columns now. So people like that were my heroes. But yes, I always wanted to be a writer, but, but very specifically a writer. I used to get this book out of the library called You Too Can Write for Money by Harvey Day. And it was this amazing book. And it was just saying, it was things like so-and-so wrote 800 full-length novels before he had one accepted, you know, and so-and-so lost the use of his arms and legs, but wrote three novels with his teeth and that kind of thing. And, and, and it, it really inspired you. And, and Harvey Day was such an interesting character because on the back, he was kind of a hack writer. He'd written all these things. So he said, other books by Harvey Day. This has always intrigued me. It said, 
the first book of curries, the second book of curries, the fourth book of curries. And I was wondering what happened. They sacked Harvey Day. Look, let's get that other fellow in. And they said, Harvey, that was a terrible book, that third one. You write one. So, yeah, I always saw myself as being a writer, not so much a kind of stand-up performer, which is where I ended up, ended up being. But now I'm becoming more of a writer. So, yeah, it's full circle. I, am the, I always say this. I'm the luckiest man in the world in that I've spent all yeah. my career doing what I wanted to do. Blimey. Yeah. It's funny that you were saying about your school being so creative. How different is it these days, do you think, for kids going into careers like writing and poetry than it was for you? Well, unlike in my day, there are lots of creative writing courses at universities. When I was at North Staffordshire Polytechnic from 1975 to 1978, I think it was, there was no such thing as creative writing. And nowadays, it's everywhere, which is great. You know, I think it's fantastic that creative writing can be a discipline. We remember when people went, what? What are you on about? You know, I think you go, yes, they're going to do creative writing alongside English. People go, you what? You what? <laughs> You're going to write alongside, what are you talking about? And then you go, well, if you do an art degree, you learn about art history and you paint. If you do a music degree, you learn about Mozart and you compose your own stuff. If you do an English degree, you should write as well. And the people still get going, Dobby said, what a stupid thing to say. But then eventually he started off at UEA in East Anglia and gradually it became the thing. And I think it's fantastic. So if I was a young person, I would say, if you can go to university and do a creative writing degree, because a lot of them will show you how to make your living as well. You know they have a kind of writing in the world thing. If you want to just write, that's fine. But if you want to make a living mm -hmm. at it, it'll teach you how to do workshops, how to go into schools, how to sell work that you might not think of. You know, people are often always looking for writers of all kinds of things. So I think it's, it's different. And the equivalent when I started was writing workshops run by the local authority or writing workshops run by the local workers' education association. So when I first started as a freelance, I was doing about half a dozen of these workshops a week, just going all the way around South Yorkshire on the bus. And, and so there's always going to be, even in these terrible, terrible times, there's always going to be opportunities for people who want to make a living as writers, as long as you don't mind sitting in writing workshops, running writing workshops, and some people don't want to do that, and that's fair enough. And as long as you don't mind sometimes being asked to write something that you might not think of, but that, that helps you to, to become a better writer, I think. If somebody says to you, I want 300 words, about shirt colours, you're not going to go, I don't know about shirt colours. My son, Andrew, who was a poet, I remember when he was at university at Lancaster, he saw an advert on a notice board that said, writers needed for new website thing. And he had to write 500 word articles about all sorts of things that he knew nothing about for these websites that would pay him like five quid. And he would write things, what are you writing today? I'm writing 500 words on tyres. What are you doing next? Bow ties. What's next? The old carpet. What's next? Life in Bridlington. And he just write these things. And you think that's, that's what it does. The more of that kind of thing, the better. I yeah. Yeah. The more you write, the more you find your own voice as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I realized this morning that you are coming up on 20 years presenting the BBC Radio 3 series, The Verb. Yes. For those who don't know then, what is The Verb? And do you have any plans to mark the occasion? Yes, the, the Verb is on Radio 3 every Friday night and also available on BBC Sounds. And it's a 45-minute show that was originally described as a cabaret of the word. 
And that's what it is, really. It's a show that celebrates writing in all its forms. So, for example, this week we did a program on space, not outer space, but kind of the space that writers inhabit. So we had the wonderful poet Raymond Antrobus, who has got hearing loss, so talked about the inner space and also the space. When you're signing, there's a spatial element to language. We had the architectural critic Jonathan Glancy talking about architectural space. So, and, and every week I come out of recording the verb feeling both elated, wired, and exhausted <laughs> by the amount of things that have been said to me. So yes, the verb has been on 20 years. It began in April 2002. I was doing some schools in Bournemouth. So I sat in this hotel in Bournemouth, and this producer rang up and said, we're trying out some presenters for a new speech-based program on Radio 3. And I was frightened to death because I'd done a lot of stuff on Radio 4, but I thought, Radio 3, that's the big boys. And I went, all right, I'll, I'll have a go. I'll have a go at the pilot. I'll do a pilot. Then a kind of magical thing happened, as they always do, that persuaded me that I should do it. So I went out of the hotel and there was a taxi run. And I said, I, I better get a taxi to this school because I've heard it's quite a way away. So I got in the taxi and I went, I said, uh, there's, there's so-and-so, so-and-so school. And he went, I've lived in Bournemouth all my life. There is no such school. And I went, well, it's on so-and-so, so-and-so road. And he went, I've lived in Bournemouth all my life. There is no such road. This is the days before kind of sat now. So I said, well, I've been told it's, and he's went, well, where is it? I said, well, it's supposed to be it. And he's going, then he, then he found out by ringing up his mates that the, the week before this school had changed its name and the week before the changed the name of the street. Because it was, I think I built some houses and I thought, blimey, though, that's a sign. That's a sign that I should do the verb. So then I get then to do the verb, the first verb and we're doing these pilots and I was so nervous. My voice was like this and I was <laughs> I was like, doing it. I couldn't speak, but I don't know. We did a few pilots and then we eventually, it got on and it, it is a wonderful thing to do. And so I think next year, the BBC is a hundred and the verb is 20. Oh, wow. So we are thinking, we've nothing decided yet, but I said to them, why don't we try and find some 100 year old writers and some 20 year old writers? There's plenty of 20 year olds. That's a fact. Hundred year olds. The only hundred year old I've ever interviewed was a writer called Edward Upward, who was one of the British surrealist writers in the 1930s. And I thought he was dead. But in the early days of the verb, there was a piece in The Guardian about him that says he's very much alive and living on the Isle of Wight. So we went to the Isle of Wight and we commissioned a new piece from Edward Upward. And I went to this room and he was, he was, a hundred, he was 101. And he wrote this piece and he still had all his mental faculties. He was quite frail. So I think we will find some hundred-year-old writers. So that's that's the plan. But the only thing is, I mean, it just keeps going, which is great. Every show you do, you should always be convinced it's your last one you'll ever do. But they just keep doing it, and and it's it's wonderful. Weirdly, when it when it first started, the verb, it was going to be called Saturday Speakeasy, because it was on a Saturday night. Because at that time, when it was first first couple of years, it was on a Saturday night, and it was done after the live opera. So you, and I love the live opera on a Saturday night, but you never know when it's going to finish because it's live. And at the end of the opera, there's always a lot of applause. It lasts about five minutes. And the, the verb was meant to start at something like 10.50 p.m. And it wouldn't start until 20 past 11. <laughs> and this is the days before I play. So people, yeah. and then they said, so Saturday speakies. But then they found out, it's, I can't remember the name of it. There was a short-lived speech radio channel 
but also on a show called Saturday Speakies. So they said, we can't call it that. We're going to call it Pure Verb, which is after that. She's a Seamus Heaney poem. It's got the words Pure Verb. I said, all right, Pure Verb. Then they said, no, it's not. It's going to be called The Verb. The Verb. And luckily, on the first show, the Observer critic Sue Arnold heard it and enjoyed it and wrote a thing about it, and they seemed to like it after that. But I always thought it would never last very long. But it's 20 years, 10 years in London, and the last 10 years in Salford, which is good. Yeah, great for you. <laughs> no, it, much more difficult for me. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, because that's what they said when, they, when we moved. They said, Ian, good news, we moved <laughs> to Salford. I said, look, you think the north is a small pond, and Salford is just the other side of the pond. And in fact... When it was in London, I would get the bus to Doncaster, I'd catch the half seven train, I'd be in London at nine o'clock, I'd walk down to Broadcasting House, and I'll catch a taxi to Barnsley, I get the seven o'clock train to Huddersfield, I get the eight oh eight train to Manchester, I get a tram that eventually limps into Salford. And it takes me twenty five minutes longer. <laughs> Even though it's only it's about I can probably see it from here. It's only about <laughs> thirty five miles as the crow flies, but no, it's but it is, it's fun to be there. That's a fact. It is nice. <laughs> Amazing. So we are, as of this recording, at the end of 2021. Do you have mm. any creative New Year resolutions for 2022? Well, over the lockdown, I wrote a book. They asked me, just before the lockdown, they, well, not just before, perhaps the end of 2019, they said, this is a publisher called Bloomsbury. I'd written an introduction to a fella's book about the coast just a little 500-word intro. And they said, would you like to write a book about the coast? And I went, well, um, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm no good at writing long things. Long things. I can't. I've, I've tried it. I am no good at writing long things. What I can do is write you some little essays about the coast. If I'm doing a gig somewhere, I'll stay overnight. I'll go to the nearest bit of coast. I'll write about oh, it. Nice. With some memories of the coast. I'll do 50 1,000-word bits, so 50,000 words. They went, all right, we'll do that. Then me and my wife went to Scarborough just before the lockdown, um, the, the week before the first lockdown in March 2020. And as we're walking about, there were people in masks, there were people buying sanitizer, you couldn't get sanitizer. We both thought this feels very odd. Well, you know what it was like. And then lockdown came. And so we contacted the publisher and I said, look, if I write this book now, it'll be totally different. It'll be about this time. And I wouldn't want it to be about, you know, I'd, if I go to this course now, there'll be nobody there. And the ones who are there, they'll have masks on. So I might write some memories of the course. And they went, all right, memories of the course. That'll do us memories of the course. So then I have to write 50 memories of the course. And I, I'm racking my brains. I'm determined not to make any up. Some I was tempted yeah. to. But, and, and in the end, I managed it. So, so next year, this book's coming out. So, so my creative resolution. <laughs> Is not to write any more books. Because <laughs> when I was writing this book, somebody else said, do you fancy writing a book about lost and forgotten Northern writers? And for about a minute, I was going, yeah, I like that. And then I went, no. God, I think, I think you realise what you're good at, don't you? I'm good at writing little things. So I got away with these 50, 1,000-word bits. There's a great writer called Daniel Gray who writes for a magazine called Nutmeg. Here it is. He's written some great books about football. And he, he edits this wonderful magazine called Nutmeg, the Scottish Football Periodical. And he's the most lyrical writer. And I wanted my book to be like his. He's written books that are little essays about football and about history. So I realised that's what I can do. 
So my resolution for next year is not to write any books. I'm going to do fewer gigs. I'm going to do more poems. I think write some more poems. Me and my mate Luke are going to write some more songs. But next year feels like it might be a kind of adventure in terms of writing. And that's good. And hopefully things might get a bit better. I do hope so. You know, and, yeah. and, but I want to write. I want to write a lot of writing and read a lot. You know, sometimes my grandkids will come and say, have you read all these books, Granddad? And I'll go, well, most of them. But I'd like to read them again. <laughs> so that's the other thing, to yeah. do more what you call creative reading, I guess. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And also, I'll be 66 next year, which means I get my bus pass, which means hey, I've got this plan to visit. I want to go to Stockport. I often pass through Stockport, and I've been to Stockport a lot. But there's a magazine shop in Stockport. There's a hat museum. There's another museum. I'm going to get the bus into town, get a train, wander about Stockport. That's my plan. <laughs> I'm, I haven't got great ambitions. You know what I mean? In 2023, there'll be a book about memories of stock. No, I know. That's what worries <laughs> That is what worries <laughs> It is a thing, though, isn't it? Uh, and, and especially for creative people, professional creative people, about how to split your time. Because there's only so much time in the week, isn't there? And you've got to figure out where best to put your efforts, I think. Yeah. Well, my, my week is usually, uh, my week's been Tuesdays. We used to have my grandson. But now he's at school, so we don't. But now Tuesday afternoons, we pick him up from school. So Tuesday mornings, I can do a bit of writing. Tuesdays and Thursdays are also days that I do community artwork in Doncaster, which I think called that. So I run creative writing workshops there in a kind of full circle way. Wednesday is verb recording day. Friday used to be gigs. So Friday will now be freer. Saturday is always a writing day. I write... Saturdays and Sunday morning is always writing. So as long as I can write every day, what worries me a little bit about not doing any more gigs is that there might not be a kind of shape to the week because the week, the gigs were often on a Friday night. So now there won't be so many gigs on a Friday. So hmm. it'll be interesting. It will be very interesting. And as long as the verb carries on, even if it doesn't, you know, I think it will, but if it didn't, I still find things to fill my time. Yeah. You know, I've said before, I said to my wife, I'm thinking of, drifting down to retirement and she went retire from what yeah, exactly well, the, that, i was going to say you, you only need to look out the window to come up with uh -huh. ideas <laughs> long may it continue Ian. Uh, i do hope so speaking of which where can people find you and your work online if they want to the best place uh, if you want to find me on twitter i'm at i'm mcmillan they can join in my wonderful uh, early morning strolls and i always yeah, try to find i always write a line about me first cup of tea of the day <laughs> and just the things that I see. So do follow me on Twitter. I've got a website, uh, ian-mcmillan.co.uk. And the verb is on every Friday on Radio 3 and it's on BBC Sounds. And do come and join us. It's a lovely party at the verb. We're recording our Christmas special next week where we've got that interesting thing, a virtual audience. The BBC have sorted oh, out yeah. this chat of them in real life. But we've got, there's about, I don't know how many, about 100 people all in their rooms, a bit like we are now watching me, Caroline Duffy, John Hegley, and Jay Rayner, all in our separate places. I don't know how yeah. that's going to work. <laughs> so, it works well, yeah. actually. I've watched various comedies. Um, and does it work? Radio oh. It does, yeah. Oh, good. Well, I'm it's, it's amazing. And another thing that's come out of lockdowns yeah. is uh, this amazing bit of technology. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck with that. And uh, yeah. I'll put links for all of those things in the, oh, in the show notes as well. Oh. Before we go then, I believe you've, brought a poem with you to share with uh -huh. our listeners yeah this is one 
This is one that I wrote last year. Uh, in the middle of that terrible period of late lockdown, when we're in, that, in those tiers, you know, and Barnsley was in tier three, and I was asked to do something in Malton, no, Pickery in North Yorkshire. It was in tier two. And it was like when people walked across from East Germany to West Germany, across Checkpoint Charlie. There's all these people doing ordinary things. It was happening. And, and this is just um, a kind of hope for a better world. It's called I Saw a Star. I saw a star socially distanced from the rising moon. I heard voices softly whisper words to a freezing chew. I heard footsteps in the half dark bring the gift of light. I saw hopeful faces shining across the winter night. One day we will stand together closer than ever before. One day we will sing our carols at our neighbor's door. One day we will pull a cracker, fall about at the joke. One day we will hold each other wrapped in love's warm cloak. I sing a song of hope at Christmas in the Yorkshire air. Under the mask, my mouth is smiling. Snow falls on my hair, then blows away. To remind the world, all this too will pass. Write Merry Christmas on the windows. Cold steams up the glass. Thus one day we will dance together around the Christmas tree. One day we will touch another face or two or three. One day we will all be shepherds gathering the Yorkshire flock. We'll raise a glass on Christmas Eve as time ticks through the endless clock and wish the virus on its way and unlock the Christmas lock. There you go. Merry Christmas. Wow. That's, I got goosebumps. <laughs> that was amazing. Well, Absolutely I'll tell you beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I haven't read that since last year and it gave me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. I hope 2022 is kind to you and your family, and uh, it's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you. But for now, thanks for joining me for a cuppa. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Ian for his time and stories. I don't know about you, but I could sit back and listen to Ian all day. And the link to that YouTube video of Ian talking about his uncles is in the show notes. Go and watch that and give yourself a chuckle with your mince pie and ham sandwich. What Ian was saying there about just stepping out of the door or looking out of the window and things will be handed to you if you're available and looking out for things, that's a really perceptive thing to say, isn't it? If you're creating things that people can relate to, that's the way to do it, surely. It does raise the question of why creators create, though. That's a much harder question to answer for me, but it's definitely satisfying when someone contacts me to say that they were impacted by what I created or it resonated with them somehow. And for that to happen, you have to be at least aware of the world around you. What do you think? Let me know. There are loads of ways to get in touch in the show notes or via creativecupper.uk. Let's carry on this conversation about creativity. Many thanks need to be given to the Creative Cuppa Facebook group members who attended the Creative Cuppa Christmas Chatter in aid of the Shelter Charity earlier this month. It's always lovely to catch up with everyone and I hope we'll carry that on every Friday at 9am in 2022. Come and join us. It's all informal and friendly. You can also get updates for the show and more by following at ScreenlessPod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And finally, if you haven't filled out our listener survey, the link is in the show notes. It's your chance to have a voice in shaping this show. I'm always open to hearing about what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy in order to improve. So if you'd like to let me know, It takes a few minutes and I don't gather any data on you. It's totally anonymous. That's it then. 
That's 2021 over and done with. I hope 2022 is kind to you. Let's see what happens. I'm taking a break now before embarking on season three of this lovely little show. So make sure that you've subscribed in your podcast app and then season three, episode one, will magically appear after the break. In the meantime, have a very happy new year. Stay kind, stay creative, and thanks for joining me for a cuppa. Mm-hmm.